It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll A get through it. social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and it's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up in about an hour or so. We have uh, our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left, with um, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, Joined by East Village Magazine uh, consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson. That's coming up in about an hour or so. I'm sure we'll be talking about the impeachment trial and a number of uh, other things from local, state, national uh, news and current events, plus uh, some quotes in uh, my favorite part, the X Files. That's all coming up on Armchair Politics every Wednesday here on the Tom Sumner program. But uh, first up, during this uh, first hour, it is, um, oh, there's always, uh, there's, there's always a day or a week or a month designated for everything. February, in, in addition to the other things that uh, we commemorate in the month of February, it's Heart Health Awareness Month. And we're going to talk about um, the heart, and in particular, uh, treatment and diagnosis uh, for heart disease in infants and very young children with um, an expert in the field from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Dr. Jonathan Chen. That's coming up here in in just a moment. He's going to join me uh, by phone. But um, interesting conversation to be sure. And also, this hour, we're going to, uh, well, we're going to, give a nod to Valentine's Day, which is coming up this weekend, from the Bickersons. So you'll want to stick around for that for another uh, 
Old Time Radio Remake from the Tom Sumner Program Studio Players. We're going to recreate the Bickersons and how Valentine's Day might happen for them. Anyway, I'll be right back with Dr. Chen. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, this is the month of February, which is uh, uh, Heart Health Awareness Month, and um, and appropriately, because Valentine's Day is coming up, I suppose. But uh, we're going to talk about heart disease in young children, and to talk about that with us uh Joining me by phone is the Chief of the Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery and the Co-Director of the Cardiac Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And uh, his name is Dr. Jonathan Chen. As I mentioned, he joins me by phone. Dr. Chen, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Tom. Um, I I was reading a statistic that one in... um, one in 120 babies or 40,000 babies every year in the U.S. is born with heart disease. And and I'm hearing the phrase congenital heart disease. What what types of heart disease afflict especially young children? And what exactly is congenital heart disease? Yeah, good. All, all good questions. Well, congenital heart disease just refers to heart disease that you're born with as opposed to heart disease that you acquire. Um, So, for example, worldwide, uh, rheumatic fever still remains a uh, very serious uh, epidemiologic problem in the uh, developed world, you know, uh, like the United States and the Western Hemisphere and so forth. We don't see that almost at all. It's a vanishing disease, but in the underdeveloped nations, it's quite severe. So that would be considered acquired heart disease. This is uh, the congenital heart disease we're referring to, one in about about 1% of the population is heart disease you're born with. And that can be uh, very benign. So it can be something that you one follows for your entire life and uh, you never need an intervention for. So for example, um, you'll hear a lot of people, you probably know people who have say mitral valve prolapse, a very common problem in adults. Now they've probably had that their whole lives. It's just that it doesn't it does not manifest any problems and it, and it probably will not for the rest of their life. And then there are more severe forms of heart disease um, that babies are born with that can require an intervention, either a surgery or a catheter-based intervention, even in the first couple of days of life. And that can be quite quite severe. Um, and so there's kind of the whole gamut. Now, children, as they grow older, um, through toddler years and then into the kind of uh, tween years and teen years, uh, can very few of them can develop uh, heart muscle problems. We call that cardiomyopathy. The myopathy part means just a muscle problem, and uh, and that's something that we would follow uh, patients for. It can be as serious as needing a transplant, and can be as benign again as they follow for their lifetime. So that's something that would develop. Uh, but that's sort of the full gamut of what we consider to be congenital heart disease. In in recent years, um, there's there's been a lot of attention focused on high school athletics, specifically uh, football and the training that goes into it because of cases where young people, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, have, you know, died on the practice field uh, from some sort of a, a heart failure. Is it likely that in those cases they had had 
some kind of a heart problem that went undiagnosed? Um, I think it kind of, it's a good question. I think it kind of depends on the situation. It's a little hard to, uh, you know, to make a blanket statement about that. Um, there certainly are a lot of um, high school athlete uh, uh, events that we think are heart-related, in particular are either related to what we call an arrhythmia, meaning that the normal heart rhythm uh, is, um, uh, goes sort of awry uh, and can be quite chaotic, or in some cases, which is probably a, even fewer than that, uh, we believe that they may be related to coronary artery problems in children, and those are ones that you're born with. That's not coronary artery disease that you think of from you know, eating too many Big Macs. This is something that has to do with the actual uh, sort of anatomy of the coronary artery. That's pretty uncommon. I think we think most of these uh, athletic problems are related to rhythm uh, disorders. Um, the question, the follow-up question, which is also very relevant, is whether um, how uh, athletic screening uh, could pick some of those things up. Um, and, you know, our electrophysiologists do quite a bit of that. These are doctors within the cardiac center who specialize in heart rhythm problems. Uh, it's generally speaking something that, that the, the usual flow of diagnostics is that something would be uh, picked up at the pediatrician visit. They see a cardiologist, they get screened in that uh, order. But it's, uh, you know, it's concerning. It's one of those things that um, we don't think of athletes as being vulnerable to heart disease. But, right. Um, but, they, uh, you know, anybody is, well, yeah, right, anybody is as vulnerable to a heart rhythm problem. It has, it's, it's unrelated to your, you know, athletic fitness, if you will. Um, you know, interestingly, you said that about 1% of the population um, – our, our children with these uh, congenital heart conditions. Um, and that sounds like a fairly small number, but yet it's 60 times more prevalent than childhood cancer. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the, the statistic is that uh, congenital heart uh, uh, problems or, or, or anatomic problems are the most common uh, birth defect. If you actually look at it by numbers, we don't think of it that way. You know, you think of you you would imagine it being something because we hear so much more about childhood cancers, but that you have to remember is the full spectrum of what we would consider to be quote unquote heart disease. So uh, many of these things are, are are heart disease, but they're completely benign, and you know we would follow them for their lifetime. Uh, but it's uh, you know it's it's um, it's a significant problem. Uh, what's interesting is also that, in a, in a nice way, interesting is that compared to say 30, 40 years ago, um, you know, upwards of 85% of these patients will live to adulthood, either repaired or unrepaired heart disease. And what that means is that there's actually a growing uh, um, population, actually much larger than even the number of children with heart disease, of adults with congenital heart disease. So these are patients who were once children followed who reached, you know, age 18 or 21. And, uh, and so now we're into a, a kind of a whole new frontier of um, how do we care for patients who in the past might have not even made it to adulthood and now are doing just fine. But what does that mean for following them, you know, long-term? And one of the, um, you know, I guess, a quote unquote, a good problem to have is that uh, you know one of the it, we need specialists in the adult world who who can kind of bridge those two areas because if these aren't you know congenital heart disease had not previously been something that it was such a big part of an adult cardiologist's practice, 
But the other thing, which is the quote unquote good problem to have is that we're realizing that uh, uh, sort of like I was saying, just because you're an athlete, you still can be vulnerable to arrhythmias. Uh, you know, just because you have congenital heart disease doesn't mean that you can't get all these other adult problems like cancer. And we have to worry about how to how can our adult survivor uh, congenital heart patients, you know, be become pregnant safely. That these are all sort of adult problems that we now are having to contemplate in a whole different uh, subset of patients. You know, when a baby's born, we count the fingers and toes, and if they're all there, we consider it a healthy baby. But how and when did uh, healthcare professionals start checking infants for things like congenital heart disease? It's um, so there's sort of an evolution of this. There, there yeah. certainly was, has been a recognition for I don't know, probably forty, fifty years that the you know the newborn uh, evaluation. Uh, looking in particular for things like oxygen levels uh, could be a hint of uh, cardiac problems. Although there's there you know there's a whole laundry list of things that can cause that as well that are not cardiac. Um, two things uh, have been particularly um, uh, impactful. The first is echocardiography. So this is an ultrasound of the heart uh, that we can do um, uh, that start, first started with obviously adults and then down to kids. But in the last, I'd say, probably 30 years, what's really perfected uh, our ability to understand this is the fetal ultrasound. So as many uh, mothers will know, when they were pregnant, they got an ultrasound, several ultrasounds, to look at the baby in general, right? They was looking at sort of the baby and, as you're pointing out, you know, fingers and toes and whatnot. What has happened over the last uh, couple decades is refining that to look at specifically at the heart. Now, you can imagine how challenging that is, because think about how small a fetus is, and, we're, and these these folks are evaluating the heart in the fetus. And, uh, you know, when I started in this field 20-some-odd years ago, uh, we would probably diagnose about, I bet we probably diagnosed about 20% of the kids prenatally, so before they were born, with some form of heart disease, and it was with some success we, we would know the diagnosis. That today is more like 85% of the time. We will know wow. with extreme uh, accuracy what we think the kids will be born with. And it's incredibly important because, for starters, it means that the parents can uh, meet with specialists and understand what this means, uh, the ramifications of this over, this, over the baby's lifetime. Uh, and, and in particular, what it means once, you know, the first 24, 48 hours once the baby's born. I would say as important, it allows us, you know, on the doctor side to be prepared for that birth. So there are some medications, for example, that you would want to start in the delivery room on, the, on some kids who have these problems. Uh, and the other thing, too, is that we know what to expect. So as I was saying before, you know, in the old days, the baby would be born and their oxygen levels could be low. And then you would go down this checklist of about 25 diagnoses that could cause that. And heart disease was probably number, you know, 10 on the list for some of those. And that workup could take a very long time to figure out. Nowadays, if you know the diagnosis, you just skip all that. You know exactly what they're going to be born with. You know pretty with pretty high accuracy what they need to be treated with, and that's been a very important advance for us is to is uh, prenatal diagnosis. We'll have more about the diagnosis and treatment of heart disease in uh, infants and young children with Dr. Jonathan Chen from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. This 
Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. We'll have more about the diagnosis and treatment of heart disease in uh, infants and young children with Dr. Jonathan Chen from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia straight ahead. The Children's Hospital of Philadelphia has one of the very first, um, we call it the special delivery unit, and it's a, um, it's a place uh, for mothers, healthy mothers with kids with uh, fetal diagnosis of um, uh, other congenital heart disease and other birth defects where they deliver in the children's hospital. And so there are even very extreme cases of this, and these are very rare, probably once or twice a year, where the mothers will actually deliver in the operating rooms, in the cardiac operating rooms, because we know that the heart disease the baby will be born with will be so severe as to need an intervention the first minutes once they're born. And that's something that is an incredibly uh, um, carefully choreographed event, as you might imagine, because all the all the people have to be in, in play. They, obstetricians, the neonatologists, the ICU docs, the cardiac surgeons, the catheter docs, et cetera. And it's, it's quite an event when it happens. Now, the other thing which I was going to mention, the second thing that was sort of a milestone event uh, for us in managing children with heart disease is um, has it's taken off, I would say, it's not in all 50 states, but it's in, a, it's in the majority of them, which is a, a screening protocol for children when they're in the newborn nursery before they go home. And that's, um, it's a way, uh, the screening is very easy. It tests your oxygen levels uh, in your four extremities. And uh, it's a, it can pick up pretty significant heart disease that otherwise might be missed in those first few days. And um, just yesterday, we actually had a child um, who, as we say, they failed the screen, meaning that their oxygen levels are too low, who got transferred in the hospital right next door. And that's something where, um, you know, for those kids who, for whatever reason, it was not evident on their, on their fetal analysis, um, this will pick up kids before they go home to try to avoid, uh, you know, problems between the newborn nursery going home and then coming back. Because the thing that we don't want, obviously, is to send a child home from the nursery with undiagnosed heart disease, because that could be uh, quite dangerous. Is, is congenital heart disease genetic, and does race or gender play a, a role? Uh, is that a factor? Um, some of it is genetic. I mean, I guess to, I should say that, you know, as, insofar as blonde hair and blue eyes and so forth, there's genetic, probably everything's genetic. Um, there are <laughs> definitely um, uh, high-risk groups. So there are some, um, there are some uh, very well-known associations of certain kinds of heart disease with certain kinds of other problems that are that are quite genetic, meaning you can see whole families of them. Those are pretty unusual. Um, but there are, uh, if you uh, ever deliver a child who has uh, congenital heart disease, uh, then the subsequent times you, come, you become pregnant, it becomes quite uh, important to screen those fetuses with, with uh, echocardiogram ultrasound. It's not that the likelihood is so high uh, for most of these things, but we do think that a lot of that probably is genetic. Um, there are some associated uh, uh, non-cardiac diseases that go along with cardiac diagnoses, and those are, um, you know, the, they're kind of less less um, prevalent. Uh, but certain diagnoses will make a trigger. So if you, um, for example, trisomy 21 is a fairly common diagnosis. Those babies very commonly will have heart disease. So if you get diagnosed in utero with a baby trisomy 21, they will start to look for heart lesions just because the association is so high. So in some cases, it is highly correlated. And and what about uh, race and gender? Oh, yeah, sorry. That was a good question. Yes. Um, 
the race and gender, um, there are some, uh, the race uh, um, association is not as high as with other diseases. There are some interesting variants of um, heart disease in which the sort of type of, or I guess the characterization of the actual anatomy can vary worldwide by race. Um, there's a particular um, uh, a disease I'm thinking of, which is called Tetralogy of Fallot. It's a fairly common form of heart disease. One of the characteristics of this is the hole that is in between the left and right chambers of the um, lower part of the heart. That hole fairly reproducibly can be found in different locations depending on your race. So for example, in Asia and, and Southeast Asia, the hole is in a, in a slightly different place than it is in the rest of the world. And so um, there is some component of that, but apart from that, there's, there's not lots of associated race. Now, gender, um, there are some forms of heart disease that are related to uh, the genetic issues of gender. So um, it's not so common, for example, to say boys are more commonly afflicted than girls, uh, but there are some things like, like um, you may have heard of a disease called Turner syndrome, and that is something that does have an association with certain forms of heart disease, and that is a um, gender-based diagnosis. You mentioned uh, a, a few minutes ago um, just how amazing it is to be able to diagnose uh, a fetus prenatally. Um, I, I would think that, that treatments for newborns and infants, given the size, would be somewhat tricky as well. Is that true? <laughs> Tricky is a good, uh, maybe treat it lightly. Yes, it's um, they they are the newborn intervention. <laughs> I didn't mean to uh, understate it. Are, yeah. uh, no, no, no. I don't. Yeah, they are. Um, they are in many ways the yardstick of our specialty, meaning that um, they are the uh, highest risk and most intricate operations we do. And by and insofar as that's true. Uh, many centers are, are sort of graded, if you will, by the quality of operations they do in newborns. There is a very small subset of children in whom we will perform fetal intervention. So that means that we actually um, will perform a procedure, catheter-based or even surgery, on the fetus while they're in the womb and they will remain in the womb. Uh, and CHOP is actually one of the very few places that will um, uh, do that and, and has been uh, performing these for several decades. Um, in the heart disease world, uh, we were the first to perform what's called a teratoma removal. So this is a um, benign tumor that can occur anywhere within the chest cavity. And when that's diagnosed uh, in utero, what can happen over time is that there's just not enough real estate inside the womb. And, the, um, and as that tumor grows, it can actually just squish everything in the chest and, and actually be lethal. Um, so what we can do uh, in these very extraordinary cases, again, this is very unusual, is that we can, uh, with the mother still carrying the baby uh, in the operating room suite with obstetricians and general surgeons and so forth, we can open the womb, extract the tumor from the fetus's chest, close the chest, close the womb, and then the mother can carry the baby to term without this tumor still growing in the chest. It's, that's quite a remarkable feat, and you can imagine how how small everything is. Because we're not even talking about a newborn baby. We're talking about a fetus in that scenario. It's really quite extraordinary. What about transplants? Is that a treatment that, that can be done with uh, infants? And, and I would wonder, um, 
I don't mean to be insensitive, but where would you find donors? Yeah, um, it is a uh, therapy that's uh, quite effective for everyone from newborns through adults, obviously. Actually, my, my, call, my partner here is actually doing a transplant later on this afternoon. Um, the, uh, the donors come from a variety of um, tragic um, scenarios. Uh, in, um, in adults, obviously, there's a lot of uh, vehicular accidents, and um, unfortunately, there's suicide also is a very common problem. Um, as you uh, go down in size, so you maybe you're asking this question about where do the newborn and infant donors come from, and it's usually from some variation of trauma or from some other uh, a significant um, brain insult, so some other uh, uh, form of a, a stroke or a seizure or, or a bleed in the head that would would, would uh, um, incapacitate the baby. Uh, these are always obviously very uh, tragic uh, events when they do happen. Um, but the importance of organ donation cannot be underscored. Uh, if you can think of it, um, you know, any one individual, if they don't, are you know, able to, they can help the lives of probably eight or ten people or more, depending on um, which organs can be transplanted. And in many ways, it's a way for the legacy of that individual and their family to, um, to really um, transform what is and will still be a tragic event into something that has meaning, if you will. So the outcomes with transplantation are quite good. So these are in infants and newborns, uh, as you're asking about, this would be for patients who are too sick to leave the hospital. Um, so they're born and probably never leave the hospital. And they go from having a, you know, an estimated uh, likelihood of surviving at one year without a transplant of probably less than, I don't know, 50%, probably even less than that to having an expected life expectancy well into adulthood. And uh, it's quite remarkable to see the impact of heart transplantation in babies and children and teenagers, because these are patients who are unbelievably sick and they have this one operation and they basically are, you know, they walk out of the hospital seven to 14 days later and fantastic. And it's, it's really quite a remarkable turnaround. It's a true uh, um, life uh, saving event for sure. It's, um, there's no getting around the tragedy of the donation. That is uh, uh, an unfortunate phenomenon of it. But the, um, the truth is also that the demand uh, of patients who need heart transplants is, you know, so many fold higher than the donors who are available. And that's, that's just a, it's a, it's a struggle for everyone to try to um, increase organ donor awareness. Now, I, it, it seems to me, Dr. Chin, that I've heard about, um, in in adult cases where heart surgery is performed that animal parts have been substituted for valves and and other things related to heart repair it does that happen with younger patients as well yes it does now valve therapies are um actually a very important part of what we do, and we actually um, have a, a specific program here at CHOP that's just for uh, advanced valve therapies, and the limitations are what you're sort of highlighting. So there are a variety of um, valve substitutes, so artificial valves or, um, or tissue replacement that we can do to repair valves, uh, most of which are based on animal uh, things. So it's either a, you'll, hear, you'll hear about someone who says, I got a pig valve placed or I had a cow valve placed. 
those in adults can last quite a long time. Uh, in children, they have they tend to have a very accelerated um, inflammatory response to the pig or cow valve part, and that can cause the the actual tissue itself to become very heavily calcified, like bone. And that process can be quite accelerated. And so we have been very focused on valve repair, in particular, over valve replacement, because the other thing about replacing a child's valve is that you have to, it stays the same size as the child grows. So actually, if you uh, replace, for example, a two-year-old's mitral valve, that child needs, you know, three more operations as they grow older just to replace the valve as they get bigger. There are, um, as they call them, plastic or metal valves, just as with adults, that are available for children, usually of about uh, age one or two and older. You, they aren't really available for newborns. The unfortunate thing about those, as is true with adults, is you need to be on blood thinners each day, every day for the rest of your life, and that's to prevent clot from forming on the mechanical, as we say, valves. Um, and so we really, really, really try our best not to go the route of mechanical valves because children and blood thinners are not a good combination just because kids want to be kids. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's a very different lifestyle to that's... grow to grow up with blood thinners. I mean, they do, and they do quite well with them, to be honest. Uh, but you can't do things like contact sports and ski and so forth. You can't do any of that when you're But a, a skinned knee becomes a very different uh, episode. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not, um, you know, skinned knee is not a, uh, you know, death-defying event, but it, it will, it's sort of like, um, you know, we tell adults, we say when you're, you know, in the shower shaving, if you cut yourself, you're going to last a little longer. It's kind of like that. Or in, in particular, the toddler range, uh, the kind of classic, I, I, I operated on the um, first enrollee in this great uh, clinical trial of, of a pediatric mechanical valve, the plastic valve. And this little girl, Sadie, uh, she was uh, she was really in bad shakes when she was an infant. We replaced it, and then she came back to have her valve replaced when she was three because she had outgrown it. And she came into the office for her for her visit, and she had this huge bruise on her forehead because she had just beamed herself on the coffee table, which is what two year olds do. And her parents said they were getting all these you know askance you know looks when they were walking to the grocery store because you know here's this little girl with this huge bruise. But it's um, things like that can be they just become a little more exaggerated they're not again they're not uh you know life-threatening but they uh they can be um bothersome for sure as uh, diagnosis continues to improve um how likely or not likely is it that a, a child could be born with a congenital uh heart condition and go unnoticed uh it's Less and less likely. The other thing, too, that makes things less and less likely is that the trigger these days uh, to get an echocardiogram is so much lower than it used to be. So um, there are, for an example of this, which is actually no longer the case, thankfully, is that in the um, like mid to late 1990s, there was a recommendation from one of the big medical societies that children who are going to put on ADHD medications for attention deficit uh, hyperactivity disorder, which is pretty common. Uh, that they would all need an echocardiogram with the recommendation. So all of a sudden, we were echoing all like all these kids who we otherwise would call it normal, right? We call their hearts normal just based on how they were doing. Yeah. And it turns out that if you echo, you know, a thousand normal people, you'll find some heart disease. And so um, that's not the recommendation anymore for ADHD medications, thankfully. But there are lots of things that are like that where I think that you know the technology is available now. It, I it would not surprise me if in the future. There's going to be some, you know, Apple Watch, you know, app that allows you to do 
a pretty crude echo of yourself, or it'll do, have some <laughs> other predictive analytics that will tell you whether you have important ones too. You know, like are you at risk for a heart murmur or a heart excuse me rhythm disorder, like we were talking about about the athletes. You know, the, um, the there's the portable watch technology right now, uh, in its ability to read heart rhythms is actually quite remarkable. Like you can you can go home as an adult from having had heart surgery and almost have a continuous feed of your of your rhythm. And it's amazing. And they can and all these analytics, you know, Apple and, you know, Android phones can do some really sophisticated analytics of your of your EKG. And uh, you know, so it it the likelihood I think as you're pointing out, it the screening is happening every day now where it used to happen just when you went to the doctor's office. I, that's fascinating. I was going to ask what you thought the uh, the future of diagnosis and treatment of health disease was, and or heart disease rather. And, and it sounds like you're saying there's an app for that. I mean, there is, but you know, the other thing that's important, and this is something that um, you know, Chop is Chop is one of the hospitals that uh, children's hospitals that um, I think considers this also the future. Is that um, as, as maybe unsurprising to you, you know, we now we've mapped the human genome and, uh, and you can run um, really complex full genome sequencing on a newborn. And I think the, in many ways, the ideal would be that, you know, as a collective of children's hospitals, not just, not just some hospital of Philadelphia, but all of the hospitals around the world, that we would create a, a library basically. And so what you would do, there's not, and this is not a completely outlandish idea that um, every child who's born, would have a total genome sequence taken, and they go to they they, they uh, you know uh, project it with uh, you know artificial intelligence against the world's library of diseases, and then we would know we would know based on your genome of with which you were born that your likelihood of having heart disease is blank, your likelihood of having cancer is blank, you know of having kidney problems and so forth, and um, it's uh, it's a whole new world in which you know starting from time zero you have a much better sense of what your risks of relative risk of all these different things are. Um, so in that sense, in theory, if we were to be able to have a library that had uh, kind of infinite accuracy, there should be nobody who's born with heart disease that we don't know about. Now, obviously it's not very likely because you can acquire heart disease, but um, it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility that within even the next, I would say 10 to 15 years, that whole genome sequencing will change our diagnostics because it's going to allow us to pick up so many more things than even we know about now. Well, this is fascinating. And, uh, and it's, it's, um, a real treat talking with you, Dr. Chen. And I always, we have to wrap it up. We're about out of time, unfortunately, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Are there books or, or websites or other resources that you think uh, people could avail themselves of? Uh, yes, for certain. I mean, there's there's a wealth. Of, obviously, if you if you consult Dr. Google, you'll find all sorts of sort uh, sites. Um, for certain, our website, which is heart.chop.edu, that's heart.chop.edu, um, has a, a lot of um, links to other things, and also uh, can tell you a lot about certain diagnoses and how to contact us if you ever want to, uh, you know, um, hear more about that. But, um, you know, information is power, and uh, there, is, uh, there are also a lot of family support groups for those uh, families who have children who do have heart disease, um, and I know most of them are pretty dialed into that, but uh, the support groups uh, also offer sort of a wealth of um, information to families. Well, Dr. Chen, thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning. I appreciate it. Most welcome. It was a pleasure.
keep up the good work. That was uh, Dr. Jonathan Chen. He is the chief of the Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery and the co-director of the Cardiac Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Wash my hands I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I stay away from church Should I sneeze? I do it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart. That is the room. And I pray for the day the kids can go back to school. I'm washing my hands. Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Will be the death of me a trip to the grocery store to buy a TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find is 16 honey buns and some mad dog wine Washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be. Death of me, death of me. You know, they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized as <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com 
Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons! For once, the walls of the Bickersons' apartment do not resound with the persistent snoring of husband John, more's the pity. There can be only one reason for this astounding phenomenon. John Bickerson is not home. Two o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson on the telephone with Sister Clara. Let's listen. What did you say, Blanche? I said I haven't heard from John since he left for work. You'd think he'd telephone me or something. Well, maybe he tried to call. You've had the phone tied up for over an hour, Blanche. You've called me three times. He's never done this before. I think he wants to upset me. He gets so angry every time I spend a dollar. He says I'm the biggest spendthrift in California. Am I, Clara? I don't think so. Well, John does. And you know how careful I am about money. Yes, well, I have to give the baby his bottle. You do? What time is it there in New York? It's almost 5.30 in the morning. Georgie gets a bottle every two hours now. He's four weeks old. He isn't gaining much, though. Well, what does he weigh? 61 pounds. I don't like the doctor we have now. He thinks George is too heavy. Well, I think he's the cutest little thing I ever saw. Oh, did John's shoes fit him all right? Well, they pinch a little in the toes. Oh, well, you can get them fixed. Oh, I think John's here. Goodbye, Clara. John! I can't find the blasted light switch. Oh, I'm so glad you're home, sweetheart. I'm in here. Huh? Never mind the lights. Come to bed, darling. Well, I must have the wrong apartment. Uh, excuse me, madam. John, come back here. Oh, hello. Where have you been? Working. Let me get undressed. I'm exhausted. Why didn't you call? Don't throw your good coat on the floor. John! You can sweep it up in the morning. No call. No message. No nothing. Why didn't you call? Didn't have a nickel. You did, too. You had a quarter in your pocket this morning. Who did you take to dinner tonight? The whole chorus from Earl Carroll's That's Me, Boy, Diamond Jim Bickerson. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm exhausted. I bet you never even thought of calling me. Other men call their wives. If Mel Shaw leaves the house for even five minutes, he calls Louise. Calls her what? That lot you care about me. I've been sitting here worrying myself into a stew. What did you eat? Stew. John Bickerson, let me look at you. Are you sure you've been in the office till now? Well, where do you think I've been? I don't know. You didn't pass a cocktail bar on your way home, did you? I never pass a cocktail bar. That's what I thought. You had a drink. I did not. You had more than one. I didn't have any. Then why are you trying to take your pants off over your head? What pants? This is the sweater you made for me out of your old slacks. I'm the only man in town with a V-neck seat. Stop complaining. It keeps you warm. Put out the lights, Blanche. I can't hold my eyes open. John, you're not going to sleep in that horrible old sheepskin vest. Well, I'm cold. Take it off. It looks hideous. Nobody sees it. Now you just get up and put on some pajamas. I hate pajamas. They strangle me. 
Well, you can't wear that thing. Can too. What if there's a fire? I won't go. Good night, Blanche. You just get out of that bed and hang up your clothes. Don't leave them for me. Blanche, I'm sleepy. I'm always crawling under the dresser and picking up your collar buttons. I pick up your ties, and I pick up your handkerchiefs. What do you think I am, a vacuum cleaner? No, Blanche, a vacuum cleaner can be turned off. Look, Blanche, do me a favor, will ya? I worked 18 hours today. Just let me close my eyes for a couple of hours, will ya? I'm afraid. The minute you fall asleep, you'll start snoring. No, I won't snore. I never snore. How can you say that? You've never missed a single night since the second day we were married. You snore on Monday, you snore on Tuesday, on Wednesday you snore, on Thursday you snore, so what'll you do tonight? Oh, for the love of... (sighs) Nobody would believe it. I'm married to a cellar pump. John, John, you promised you wouldn't snore. And the minute you close your eyes, you start it. John! Blanche, what do you want from me? I won't stand for it. Go sleep in the guest room. We haven't got a guest room. If you were a good husband, you'd see that we had two guest rooms. You used to have plenty of ambition before we were married. Whatever Mm. happened to your get-up-and-go? He got up and went. I might have known like you are. Selfish, inconsiderate, thoughtless. You didn't even send me a Valentine card. St. Valentine's Day isn't until tomorrow. It's still tonight. Tonight was yesterday. Today is tomorrow. What? And I know you didn't send a card because you didn't send me one last year. Well, I forgot last year. You always forget. You forgot my birthday. You, I bet you don't even know when you married me, do you? No, I don't. John Bickerson, you don't know when you married me? When? Oh, I thought you said why. I suppose you think you great catch. I could have married a half dozen of the wealthiest men in town. No, I had to fall for your smooth talk. You kept calling me your buried treasure, didn't you? Didn't I what? Didn't you always call me your buried treasure? Maybe I did. Well, what have you got to say now? I'm sorry I dug you up. Good night, Blanche. Sorry you dug me up? There wasn't another girl in our crowd who would ever have given you a second look. Oh, I don't know about that. Most of those dames thought I had what it takes. Well, maybe you had it. But who took it? And what did I get out of this marriage? Jewels? No. Clothes? No. Money? No. What did I get? No. A one-room apartment and a leaky icebox. A leaky icebox? Every night my pillow was wet from my tears. Put a pan under it. You're not listening to me. You don't care what happens. I wish I'd never been born. Oh, Blanche, what's the matter with you? Why don't you go to sleep? How can I sleep? How can I sleep when I know you don't love me? Who said I don't love you? Well, you never tell me you do. I tell you a thousand times a day, I offered to pay a man $50 for a six-inch tattoo that says, John loves Blanche. Why did you object? Because it would show when I wore my evening gown. Well, I was going to let him do it on me, too. Anything to put a stop to that same question night after night after night. If you'd only say it once of your own accord, I'd never ask you. Okay, I love you. Do you love me only? Yes. When I'm away from you? Yes. Well, 
say it. I love you only when you're away from me. <laughs> yes, we do. Maybe that's why you stayed out, cavorting, until two o'clock this morning. I wasn't cavorting. I was working. What for? Because I get paid for overtime and we need the money. I have to make a payment on my car next week, $84. <gasps> Where will you get that? Oh, I got it. It's in the desk drawer. No, it isn't. It is, too. I looked yesterday. You didn't look today. Oh, Blanche. Well, there's only $60 in that drawer, John. What happened to the other $24? Don't look at me. Listen, Blanche, there are only two people who have a key to that drawer, you and I. And $24 is missing. Well, let's each put back $12 and say no more about it. I knew it. I knew it. What did you blow it on? Well, I had to pay the phone bill. I made a few long-distance calls. Long-distance calls? Who did you call for $24? My sister, Clara. I was worried. She had a tooth pulled. How could you squander my money like that? I deny myself everything. Do I even buy toothpaste? No. I've been brushing my teeth with a whisk broom. I stick tinfoil in my cavities to save on dentist bills. I've been wearing an upper plate that belongs to my cousin. And she calls New York every five minutes. Don't make such a fuss. Claire is my only sister, and I have a perfect right to call her. Anyway, Barney's in the hospital. Who's Barney? Clara's husband, when he was out looking for a job, he tripped over a bar rail and two cases of bourbon fell on his head. Well, it's the first time the drinks were ever on him. How can you say that? Barney's not cheap. He takes good care of Clara. She has a lovely home, and they've got money for everything. Oh, sure, money for everything. Don't sneer. Last week, Clara had her tonsils taken out and Venetian blinds put in. With a mouth like hers, they could do it. If that bum Barney isn't working, where do they get the dough? Accident insurance. He's collected a fortune on accident insurance. Every time Clara has a baby, he jumps off the roof. What? He doesn't hurt himself too bad, just enough to collect the insurance. You haven't got any, have you, John? No, I don't want to talk about it. I want to sleep. But suppose something happens to you. What if you have an accident and you can't work? We'll starve. We're starving now. That's too bad. It's easy for you to talk like that. If anything happened, I'd be left helpless and destitute. Why don't you get some accident insurance, John? I'll get some next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you get it now? What? Go on. Get up. Get some accident insurance. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's almost 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, people have accidents all hours of the night. I'm not going to have any accidents tonight. How do you know? Blanche, why don't you let me sleep? Well, just promise me you'll get some accident insurance. Why? Because it's a wonderful protection. Clara told me two weeks ago a man broke his hip and he got $5,000. Last week, Barney fractured his skull and got $10,000. Well, what about it? Next week, you may be the lucky one. Good night, Blanche. Good night, John. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
you pilots get off of my lawn? We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>